If you're returning and you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we are in week four of a message series, a teaching series called Red Ink. And this red ink that we're talking about is the words of Jesus. Jesus had a three-year ministry on earth, and in that ministry, he spoke a lot of words. They didn't all get recorded in the scriptures, but his followers recorded a lot of what Jesus said so that we would have it for all time. And I believe that it's important for us to get into the Word and really find out what did Jesus say? What words did He speak? What was the meaning behind those words? How do these words apply to my life? I think it's important for us to know that. If it was important enough for Jesus to say it, if it was important enough to be recorded, if it was important enough for the, uh, the Lord to lead men to know that this is what needs to be included in Scripture, then it's important for us to invest some time and some energy into going into it and discovering what God has for us. So if you've been here, you know that we've been in Matthew chapter 5. We've been in Matthew chapter 5 all of these last three weeks. We're in Matthew chapter 5 again today. In fact, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to verse 21, Matthew 5, 21, that's where we're going to begin today. While you're turning there, let me tell you, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the screen. But if you didn't bring a, a, a you know, paper Bible, like you know, onion skin paper and leather or pleather uh, cover and all of that stuff, if you have a smartphone, you have like the best Bible tool in the world right there in your pocket or your purse. If you have a smartphone and have never downloaded a Bible application to your smartphone, this is a golden moment for you. While everybody else is turning in their Bibles, pull your phone out. Nobody's pulling their phone. Everybody's got a smartphone Bible app. Awesome, awesome. I just, you know, I'm going to promote the U version, Y-O-U version. Uh, a friend of mine that I've done ministry with in the past designed it. He works at Life Church in Oklahoma. Uh, it's a great free Bible app. It's very powerful. has a lot of tools and, and stuff inside of it that you can use. So go ahead and download that rascal. Go to your, you know, app store and download the U version, Y-O-U. And while it downloads, you can uh, follow along with us today up here on the screen. So anyway, there you go. You got a free Bible today. Don't say I never gave you nothing. All right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. We've been, for the last three weeks, dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever live, Jesus. He went up on a mountain where he could be seen and be heard. He spoke to his followers and he gave them some very important instructions. In the first three weeks, we've talked about how a person lives a blessed life. What does it look like to live a blessed life? And how does a blessed life then in turn bless others? That's really the theme that we've been going with for three weeks. Living blessed, being blessed, and then being a blessing to other people. We're going to continue a little bit in that theme today, but we're going to take kind of a uh, hard turn Jesus does something kind of radical here. He messes with some people's minds. He messes with some people's heads. He might mess with your head this morning. Because the topic we're going to talk about is murder. Howdy. That's bright and cheery, isn't it? That makes you want to worship, doesn't it? Talk about murder. Some of you, just when I said that, were like, oh, I didn't have to roll out this morning. I could have stayed in bed. I've never murdered anybody, and I don't have a mean bone in my body. I couldn't murder if my life depended on it. I just couldn't do it. So why did I come to... God, what do you have for me in this? And you think you can check out and not listen, take your nap. Instead of opening that Bible app, maybe open up you know, Fruit Ninja or something and go to town while I, or text. I don't know what you're doing. I'm just saying, 
hold tight. Don't check out. Because I'll bet none of us here have ever physically murdered, but Jesus is about to teach you something really different about murder. He might mess up what you think murder is. I know he messed it up for some people who heard him live and in person that day on the mount. Because what he teaches about murder is very foreign to what you and I probably think about it. Let's see what he has to say in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, the Law of Moses. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I'm with him so far, this is good. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And I'll bet most of you are too. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anybody who is angry. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus just taught you. He just taught his followers back in the day that anger and murder are the same. Who knew? Who would have thunk? That anger in your heart is is equivalent, Jesus says, to murder. And it leads to judgment. Now, if that's shocking to you, it was just as shocking 2,000 years ago. Because these people who were following Jesus were mostly of Jewish descent, probably I mean, maybe exclusively. And and the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, have been handed down for generation after generation after generation. They knew the law. And the law says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. And they had always understood the law to mean, do not physically murder, do not pick up a weapon, do not use your hands. Don't kill your brothers and sisters. Don't physically kill them. I think it's interesting as I prepared for this and and prayed through this scripture and really tried to download why was Jesus preaching this generations after the law was given? Why is he like messing with their heads? And it hit me as I read this, who did God give the Ten Commandments to? Moses. Now what do we know about our boy Moses? Well, when God called Moses to come and deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt, where was Moses? He was out in the wilderness tending sheep. He was in exile in hiding. Why was he in hiding? I mean, this is Moses that was floated in the little basket. He was raised in in the, 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 the king's house, raised in Pharaoh's house. He was treated like a son of Pharaoh. Why in the world was Moses in hiding, in exile? Because Moses had committed murder. With his own hands, he had killed an Egyptian. And because he had murdered, he had to go in exile or face judgment of man. Well, if Moses is a murderer, and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and the commandments, the law, was only about the physical act of murder, how could Moses be God's man? 
How could he be the one to receive the law? How could he be the one to deliver the Egyptians, I mean the, uh, <laughs> the Israelites, from slavery to the Egyptians? Jesus is telling these people this because they should have understood it for generations. The law is not just about the physical. The law is about your heart. It's about what happens inside of you. And this messed people up because these people had been taught for those generations. The, the Pharisees in particular, the religious leaders that were so legalistic in Jesus' time, they believed that your righteousness was all about what happened outside of your body. It's about what you do, what you say, what you eat, where you go, who you touch and hang out with. It was all about the outside. Jesus is messing these people up because he's teaching them. It's not what you do. It's what's in your heart. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside that matters most to God. He is teaching them something new, something deeper that they had not yet understood about the law and even more importantly, about the lawgiver. How many of you this morning are like those who listened to Jesus on that day? How many of you are a little shocked, a little surprised to hear that anger in your heart is equivalent to murder with your hands? It messed me up a little bit when I first heard this. That was hard to swallow. I had to start figuring out what in the world do I do about this? Because I don't know if any of you got, I mean, there's a couple of redheads in the house. Y'all have heard about our tempers, right? Redheads? There's some anger that a redhead can unleash on somebody. I'm just saying. I had some anger that I had to deal with, man. So I was like, what do you do with this? I was shocked to hear it because I had also, like the Pharisees, believed that what I did, how I lived, what other people saw, was way more important than what was in my heart. See, historically in our culture, we have, and I think this is true in most cultures, we focus a lot more on what we do, what we say. We focus on the outside, on the actions of a person. We focus on what is visible to others way more than we focus on what is invisible, on what's on the inside. We deal more with behavior. And if you're a parent or a leader in any capacity, you have learned, and look, we were all kids, so we all know about punishment, We've doled out punishment in our leadership roles and in our parenting roles. We've been punished. And listen, discipline and punishment are different, right? And we can talk more about that at another time, but discipline, one thing, punishment, another. We deal a lot with punishment. Punishment comes natural to people. We like to punish bad behavior. And so as a kid, when you behave badly, you learn that bad behavior equals bad consequences, punishment. And so what do we learn to do? We learn to hide the, the bad thoughts and ideas. We learn to hide that darkness in our hearts. We try to portray this really squeaky clean, sweet, innocent image. And yet we all know that we have anger and darkness in our hearts. We just never deal with the heart. We deal with the bad behavior. We never talk about the darkness. But no matter how squeaky clean, the darkness persists. 
no matter how hard we try to put forth that perfect all-American image, the anger's there. We think by hiding it, we avoid the consequences. We think by hiding it, we can be socially acceptable. People will like us. They won't fear us. They won't hate us. They won't punish us. We think we're avoiding the bad consequences. But what Jesus says here, we're not avoiding anything. We're actually running headlong, right square into judgment. Not the judgment of man, not the judgment of our peers, but the judgment of God. Murder is not so much a physical thing as it is an attitude, a heart condition called anger. A heart condition that we all have. Before we deal any more with anger, I found a couple of quotes that I thought were worth sharing with you this morning. I'm going to pop these up on the screen. A couple of quotes that I thought were interesting about anger. Anger, one letter away from danger. I mean, that's not biblical or anything. There's no, you know, it's not even that deep. But it is kind of one of those things that makes you go, ooh, hmm. So put that one in your frontal lobe. Pull it up sometime when you're angry. And remember that when you are angry, you are placing yourself in danger, Jesus says, of the judgment and even of the fire of hell. Ouch. Anger. Anger is an acid that does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than on, to anything on which it is poured. I didn't realize that rhyme until I just said it out loud. Now there's some depth in this one. There's some meat on those bones. I talked a minute ago about being a redhead and how we have the reputation of bad tempers, and I think it's probably a well-deserved reputation for a lot of us. I won't speak for you other redheads out there. Anger did more damage to me when I was an angry young man than it ever did to the people that I poured my anger out on. I spewed venom. I called names. I got in fights. And I did myself far more harm than I ever did to the people that I was angry with. Finally, Proverbs 29, 11, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Now let's talk about holding it back for a minute because I don't want us to misunderstand what it means to hold back our anger. Holding back our anger doesn't mean bottling it up, doesn't mean sitting on it, holding on to it. Remember, it's far more dangerous to the person who holds it than it is to the person you pour it on. You don't want to hold your anger. You also don't want to vent it out and spew it on other people, like I told you I was guilty of doing and like I bet most of you can identify with in some way. So what does this verse mean? It means we need to deal with our anger in a constructive way. We need to learn how to deal with our anger in a constructive way. And dealing with anger starts with acknowledging it. you got to acknowledge your anger. Jesus acknowledged it. He just said right here, anger is like murder. 
He's acknowledging that anger is an issue. In fact, I think if we will all admit this morning that we have anger issues, we can take step one into dealing with our anger in a constructive, in a biblical manner. I'm just going to confess it right now. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to confess. It might do you some good if you did. I'm just I've got anger issues. Even though I understand this, I still find myself sometimes holding on to my anger, loving my anger. How many of you have ever been angry and you love it? It's good somehow to be mad. It feels good to feel like you're superior to somebody else and you have a leg to stand on. You have a reason to be angry with them. Makes you feel tough or holy or something. I got anger issues. I'll admit it. And you know what? When you admit that you have anger issues, when you acknowledge the anger in your heart, you take away the power that that anger has over you. You take away the power that the enemy, the devil, has to leverage that anger against you. You begin to neutralize the acid of anger. Any chemistry people in the house, you know acid's dangerous, acid can burn, it can do great damage, but if you neutralize it, bring the pH into balance, you render it safe, impotent. You can neutralize, you can make your anger, that enemy anger, that negative, that bad anger, neutral. You can even make it positive in your life if you deal with it appropriately. You've got to start with admitting it. You take away the leverage the enemy has. You take away the power that anger has over you. You know what else happens when you admit that you have anger? You don't surprise anybody. It's not so much what does happen as what doesn't. Some of you might think if you admitted that you had anger issues that people might be shocked. Oh, wow, him? I would have never thought. Her? Are you kidding me? Nobody's going to be surprised you have anger issues because every one of us has anger issues. We all deal with the emotion of anger. We deal with this problem. It's part of living in a fallen world, being a sinful person. We have anger issues. You know who else isn't surprised? Like your, your spouse is not going to be surprised. Huh? Amen? Your children, not shocked. They, get, they could have told you. Right? They have a list, probably, if, right here. They could probably put it in crayon for you, right? on. You know, anger issues, mom, here's dad, here's your boss, the people who work for you, your neighbors, your dog. Oh, come on, man. Nobody's surprised. God's not surprised either. God's not surprised you got anger issues. No matter how squeaky clean the image is, no matter how good the behavior is, no matter how hard you have worked at crafting the image, God sees right past it. Even if you fooled everybody in your life, God sees what is in your heart. He knows what's here. He knows the darkness. He knows the sin, the selfishness. He knows the anger that lives inside of you. God's not surprised when you confess you have anger issues. That, I believe, is why Jesus called it out. And I believe that's why we have to call it out. We have to acknowledge it as step one of dealing with it. Step two, once you've acknowledged it, once you admit that you have anger issues, well, now what do I do with my anger? Well, you've got to put it where it belongs. You've got to put your anger where it belongs. Where does my anger belong? Behind you. You've got to put your anger behind you. 
Check out verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. It's a supernatural thing to leave your anger behind you. You and I, in and of ourselves, are not equipped to deal with anger in a biblical way. Let's just go ahead and acknowledge that. We'll get that on the table. We don't have the capacity to properly deal with our anger. We cannot, on our own, leave it behind us. It is a supernatural act called reconciliation. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own wisdom. We, as I said a minute ago, like to cling to our anger. We like to roll around in it, get it all over us. We enjoy sometimes the anger that we have inside. But we can break free from that anger. We can get loose from it. We can put it behind us before we commit murder in our hearts. And the only way that we can do that is by participating in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is a ministry that God has given us. God designed it. He planned it. He's got a purpose for it. We're supposed to use it. God wants us to be reconciled to one another. He empowers reconciliation. He leads reconciliation. He inspires reconciliation through His Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, that Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And when you feel that conviction, that tug on your heart that says anger is just one letter away from danger, and you, my friend, are in danger, 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 anger, anger. That's the Holy Spirit saying, Time to reconcile, buddy. Hey, girl, it's time to reconcile with whoever you are angry with, and more importantly, whoever you have given reason to be angry with you. Ouch. Anger works both ways. We don't just have the right to be angry. A lot of times we give other people the opportunity, even the right, to be angry with us. God wants us reconciled to one another. He does the empowering. He does the impossible that we cannot do. He fills us with that conviction, and then He gives us the strength to do something with it. But only when we're obedient in obeying His call and obeying the Holy Spirit inside of us, only when we submit to Him and make ourselves willing participants in reconciliation. Here's a little bit about how reconciliation works. Step one, right here, at the second sentence of verse 24, Jesus says, first go. I like simple instructions. Anybody ever built Ikea furniture? Obviously you have. That is the antithesis of simple instructions. I'm just saying. Jesus, not an Ikea engineer. Jesus said, first go. I can follow those instructions, man. That is simple. Here's how reconciliation happens. You submit you make yourself available. You become willing. 
and you go. You go. You take the first step. You be the big boy or the big girl. You go to the other party. Whether they offended you or whether you offended them. You go. And when you get there, you confess. Again, it takes away the power that anger has over you. If you'll just confess that you're angry. If you make me angry, it's on me. The onus is on me to go to you and to confess, I'm angry with you. You done went and made me mad, shoot. I'm angry with you. I can confess it. You know what? I feel better already. It feels good just to say it. I'm angry with you. I'm sorry that I'm angry with you. Whether it's your fault, my fault, or nobody's fault, I do not want to commit murder in my heart. I'm sorry that I'm angry. Will you forgive me? There's a powerful word, forgive. I heard a pastor once call it the real F word. Puts it into perspective, doesn't it? We give that other F word all kinds of power, emphasis. If we put the same power and emphasis in the forgiveness, will you forgive me? Remember, you may be the offended party, but you sinned when you let anger enter your heart. You started down the path of committing murder in your heart when anger entered. You've got to go. You've got to confess. You need to apologize. You need to ask for forgiveness. And if forgiveness is extended, you need to receive it. Now, here's the cool thing. If you ask for forgiveness and the other party wants to play games and doesn't want to forgive, you have lived up to your responsibility. You've done everything that you can do. You cannot make somebody forgive you. And you should not and really cannot worry about it if they choose not to. You should pity that person. You should have compassion for them. You should pray for them. Because now they are the vessel carrying that erosive acid that is eating away at them from the inside, that is poisoning their heart. Don't be angry again. Don't get mad that they didn't forgive. Pity them. Pray for them. You've done what you're supposed to do. You have attempted reconciliation. As I've talked this morning, I wonder if any of you have experienced what I experienced over the last week as I really prepared for this message. Names popped into my mind. Faces appeared in that big movie screen in my head. People that I've made angry. People that have a right to be angry with me. I don't know if they are or not. 
I mean, some of them I do know. (laughs) Some of them I don't know. Other people, people that I'm angry with, unreconciled anger. I realize that I'm guilty of committing murder in my heart. Never thought of myself as a stone-cold killer. And yet Jesus says I am. If you're like me, and you know there are people with whom you are angry, or who you've given the right and every reason to be angry with you, and that anger is unconfessed, unforgiven, reconciliation has not been pursued or achieved. It's time to do something about that, isn't it? Because we don't want to walk around murderers. It's hard to be salty like we talked about last week, to make the people thirsty for Jesus when you're walking around with that kind of conviction, that kind of guilt, that kind of weight on your head, blood on your hands. It's time to do something about your anger. It's time to confess it. Come clean. Come clean with God. Come clean with others. It's time to be reconciled, to apologize, and to ask and receive forgiveness. If that's with a person, I ask you to do that this week. Make it a point. Put it on your calendar. Commit to it. You're going to make a phone call. You're going to set a meeting. You're going to send an email. You're going to send word through another party if they're so angry that they won't even talk to you or open your messages. And you're going to pursue reconciliation. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't brush it under the rug and pretend like it's not a problem. Face that conflict and watch what God does on the other side. Watch how He brings life through that. Some of you this morning, it's not a person that's at the top of your list for reconciliation. For some of us in this room, it's very possible, if not probable, that the reconciliation that you need, yeah, you probably have it with people too, but you need to start with reconciliation with God. You need to confess that He has something against you. He has a right to be angry with you. You need to come clean about the sin in your life, the darkness in your heart. If you have never admitted that, if you have never come clean with him and told him, God, I've messed it up. I'm doing life my way and it's a disaster. It's not working. I'm angry. I am sin-stained, messed up, and I'm tired of living like this if you've never confessed it, if you've never asked for his forgiveness, God, would you just forgive me? Would you put that behind me? 
do what I cannot do. I don't have the power. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the wisdom. I can't reconcile myself. I can't forgive myself, but I can be forgiven by you. Your God can forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He's ready to forgive you. The cool thing is, you don't have to go to get forgiveness from God. You don't have to chase Him down or seek Him out. God already sent His Son, Jesus, to do the go work for you. He went to the cross, and He went out of the grave. Jesus knows all about go. And He's gone the distance for you and for me. And He's ready to receive that confession, and He is ready to give forgiveness and to reconcile you to Him and Him to you. And when you have that reconciliation, when you live a reconciled life with God, your life is changed, man. It's blessed. Not that bad things don't happen, but you deal with bad things in a whole new way. They don't matter so much because you know there's more to life than this. And not only are you blessed in this life, but you bless others in this life. And then you have the blessing of living eternally with God. It's time to be reconciled. Reconcile with one another. Reconcile with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers. Reconcile with your enemies. But most importantly, if you've never been reconciled to God, make a reconciliation priority right now.